Greetings, everyone. Welcome to episode two of Honestly Speaking with Tara Setmayer, where telling the truth is a revolutionary act during this time of universal deceit. Welcome back. This is episode two. Thank you for joining me. So last week I had the pleasure of talking to former New York City Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick. It was an interesting conversation about 9-11, his experiences that day, um, his experiences um, on the ground, uh, what that was like. It was pretty uh, pretty interesting. And um, hearing from someone who was there, I just think it's important to just constantly be reminded of, of what that day meant, what it was like, and we just really can never forget. So that was last week. Um, And then this week, we have Rick Wilson, who is a fellow never Trumper like myself. So um, we have a great conversation coming up with Rick Wilson. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, before we get to that interview, I would like to talk a little bit about some of the things that have been going on. So over the weekend, well, first of all, everyone needs to remember that I am a huge Giants fan, the New York football Giants. Sunday was not a great day. Not only did the Giants lose to the stupid Cowboys, I'm sorry to all my fans out there, all my listeners who are Dallas Cowboy fans. We are rivals. I'm a Giants fan. I'm sorry. (laughs) I still love you though. (laughs) Thank you for listening. And I love Texas, but I don't like the Cowboys. The Giants lose to the Cowboys. That was painful enough. But then I also lost my fantasy league this week because I didn't start Blake Bortles. Yes, Blake Bortles from Jacksonville. He scored 50 freaking points in fantasy in my fantasy league on ESPN. And I had the chance or choice to start him or Aaron Rodgers. I went against my better judgment because I thought to myself, I should start Blake Bortles. No, instead I started Aaron Rodgers and I, I lost as a result of it. So there's that. <laughs> there is that. Uh, but I'm over it now. It's uh, time for a new week, which means it's, Time for more, more of the chaos chronicles in the White House. Uh, what is the what? What broke over the weekend? Well, I'm trying to watch football, trying to enjoy my football Sunday, and what happens? The Brett Kavanaugh story. So this story, for those of you who haven't been paying attention, Brett Kavanaugh is up for Supreme Court nomination. His hearings were pretty entertaining. Pretty eventful, a lot of political theater going on there. Obviously, Democrats don't want him uh, confirmed. Republicans are trying to push him through before midterms in case they lose the Senate. And everyone knows that Supreme Court nominations are always a battle because the Supreme Court nomination is for life. You're a judge for life. Um, It could shape the, the legal landscape of this country. So, you know, Supreme Court nominees, nominations are important. But this uh, situation with Kavanaugh so far, uh, you know, Democrats tried. They threw a lot of things at him. And it was, uh, you know, he he didn't, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of this guy. There were other people that I thought could have been less controversial, less political than Kavanaugh. But for the most part, I thought, all right, he'd be okay. I have some concerns about his his viewpoints on executive power, which I think is why he was shot up to the front of the line um, of Supreme Court nominee con- um, 
considerations. He wasn't he wasn't even in like the top five. And then all of a sudden he came out of nowhere. And I my theory is because the Trump administration saw what his opinions were on executive power. He's a little bit more in the camp of the president can do a lot more than some of us would like his interpretation of, of executive power. He also worked under Ken Starr during the Clinton impeachment hearings in the whole Monica Lewinsky fiasco. So he's been a circuit court judge in the DC circuit court for many years. There's a long history of his legal writings. Democrats were complaining that Republicans weren't releasing enough of his information, but they released lots of it. So they had the hearings. He basically made it through the hearings. Nothing that would, would have disqualified him ideologically those who were opposed to him were going to still be opposed to him until oh, a couple days ago, a letter, uh, Di- Senator Dianne Feinstein, it started to get out that she had a confidential letter from a woman who accused Kavanaugh of sexually assaulting her in high school. Now, apparently, um, Feinstein had this letter. She had it uh, for several for several weeks, I believe since July, and held on to it. And it got out, it leaked that this letter existed. And I guess this was kind of their trump card, since all the other hijinks didn't work to derail the Kavanaugh nomination. Uh, Senator Feinstein pulled a political stunt and decided to release this letter. Now, some will say that this that's not what she was doing, and the woman didn't want to be revealed. She wanted to keep it confidential. And, and that all of that was probably true. Um, however, you can't deny that this was a political stunt. Um, but in this situation like this, it's kind of complicated. All of the above can be true. What this woman, her name is um, Dr. Ford. She's a professor out at uh, Palo Alto College, I believe, in California, um, Professor Christy Ford, she um, she could be telling the truth. She could say that you know it's been thirty six years, and I haven't come out publicly about this. But this, but but a Supreme Court position is important enough that I think I need to speak out. And Diane Feinstein, the Democrats could have used this as a political weapon. That can all be true at the same time. That, in my opinion, should not diminish the seriousness of the allegation. Initially, I will admit that I thought that this was a bit ridiculous, an allegation from high school. Uh, I thought that was a, a bit much. But once she, Dr. Ford, came forward, because the allegations were anonymous before she did that, once she did that, that changed the game a bit. It, it, it changed it because it gave a face, it gave um, details to the incident so now we have a little bit more to judge this on. And some of the details, I mean, it was uh, interesting. She, she apparently brought this incident up during a couples therapy session in 2012. That was many years before Brett Kavanaugh was ever list, named as a potential Supreme Court nominee. And there's notes. She's got receipts. So that to me lends some credibility to the plausibility that this scenario happened, that they were at a party, they were drunk. Her And I encourage people who haven't read it, I think you should read Dr. Ford's letter 
read the story in the Washington Post that outlines what took place in detail. I think it's worthy of, of reading, so everyone has full context. But she, but, but the basics are they were at a house party in high school. She was 15, he was 17. Uh, she was on her way to the bathroom. Brett Kavanaugh and another classmate of his, this guy named Mark Judge. This guy's a piece of work, this Mark Judge. But anyway, they um, locked her in a room. Brett Kavanaugh uh, climbed on top of her, tried to take her clothes off. Uh, put his hand over her mouth so she, when she tried to scream, she couldn't, and they turned the music up and locked the door. And uh, Mark Judge jumped on top of them both, and because of the weight of that, they've toppled over. She was able to get away and escape. So that's her story, and she claims that she never told anyone. Never. She she locked herself in a bathroom, got herself together, and left the party and never told a soul until this therapy session with her, this couple's therapy session with her husband and a a therapist in 2012. And in the, in the notes, she doesn't name Kavanaugh, but her husband says that during the therapy session, she did bring up Kavanaugh's name. And he, she mentioned, he mentioned that she said, you know, he could be a Supreme court justice one day and that he was part of a very powerful circle of, of politically connected folks here in the DC area. Well, that's all true. So what do we do with this now? Well, this has caused quite a stir. I mean, this is a bombshell. And both sides are, you know, uh, reacting in in predictable ways. But some Republican senators uh, have come out and said, look, we can't vote on this. There, there was originally a vote scheduled to confirm Kavanaugh coming up on Thursday, the 20th. That's out the window now. Senator Grassley who is chairman of the Judiciary Committee, he's come out and said, we're going to delay the vote and we're going to have a public hearing because for the last 24 hours, people have said that there should be a public hearing. This woman, the accuser, she should be heard and Kavanaugh should have an opportunity to defend himself. I agree with that. I think that this is a situation where you're never going to know for sure one way or the other if this actually happened. Unless there is some kind of hard evidence, corroboration from somebody else, another witness, um, a parking ticket registered to Kavanaugh's car with him parked in front of the house on that date. I mean, (laughs) something concrete would have to come out to prove that he was there because Kavanaugh is vehemently denying that he was even there. He denies the incident happened. He's completely unequivocally. He put out a statement. I wasn't there. That's not me. Before the specifics of the event came out, there was a group, a, a letter of 65 women that supported Kavanaugh, who said they knew him back then and said that this was uncharacteristic. He, could, he would never do such a thing. Fully supportive of him. Since then, since the specifics came out about the incident now and the, and the woman who's accusing him in her name was revealed, it, you know, a couple people have still come out, but not as many. Um, does that change things? I don't know. Maybe it changed. It changed my mind to give it some credibility, to be honest. I I have to be honest about that. And I'm always leery of people who completely deny 100%. No, 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 no way. You know, thou doth protest too much, right? Is it possible that this woman completely made the story up? Yeah, it's possible. I don't think that she's completely made it up. There's there the therapist note. She I believe she took a polygraph test. 
They're not admissible in court, but she was willing to do that. And she knew what it would do to her life by going public. So, and she's a, she's a reluctant witness in this. She initially did this confidentially. However, it came about that she finally went public with it. It was reluctantly. She, she, and, and that tells me something too. Is she a Democrat? Yes. Was she, is she a Democratic activist? There's some reports. There's a picture of her in one of those pink pussy hats at a rally in San Francisco. I don't care. That doesn't make it any less credible. You know, in the era of Me Too, I think that it's important for women to be heard. She has, in my opinion, enough corroborating evidence with the therapist notes that something did happen to her. So we, you know, I don't know. It's very complicated. But where I started to believe that the incident, it was plausible that the incident happened, was not only after I saw the information from Dr. Ford, but then when I started to find out more information about the other guy that was in the room, this Mark Judge, what a piece of work this guy is. Something wrong with him. He's written, he, he wrote a book called Wasted, I think it's called, where he talks about all of these drunken exploits and, and life as a privileged kid, I guess, in the D.C. area. And he, he talks about drunken parties and crazy things that they did and being an alcoholic and all of these things. And so that's consistent with the scenario that, this, that, that Dr. Ford uh, outlines. He also wrote some very interesting reviews of, of a hard crime series of these, I think there are books, uh, crime books, where he talks about the beauty of uncontrollable male passion. Um, I don't know what that means, but in the context of what's happening, that tells me a little bit about the way he looks at men and women and their interactions sexually uncontrollable the beauty of uncontrollable male passion that's a bit concerning to me what's also concerning to me is that this guy mark judge this was the other guy in the room allegedly um, during this assault this alleged sexual assault uh, 36 years ago he also wrote for the website of this holocaust denier crazy guy named chuck johnson chuck c johnson this guy is completely off his rocker. Like I said, he's a Holocaust denier. He pals around with white nationalists. You know, he's not a good guy. And Mark Judge wrote for his website. Not, that's that's no good for his character. Not, I'm not feeling that. He also writes in, in, in his book, he refers to a character, um, I think his name was Bart O'Kavanaugh or something like that, trying to disguise maybe Brett Kavanaugh. Is that who he was talking about during these drunken stupor parties and things? Uh, I don't know, maybe. So there's a lot of questions here. Um, and I think that a public hearing at this point is necessary. Will this derail Kavanaugh's confirmation? I'm not sure. Two senators that we have to pay attention to obviously, Senators Collins and Murkowski. There are two female senators who are key votes. They could potentially be swing votes. It looked like they were leaning toward Kavanaugh before this. I think they've indicated some pause now in light of this new information. 
Senators Flake and Corker both are retiring. Republicans, one Flake from Arizona, Corker from Tennessee. They've also said that we need to have some more investigation. Now, they could be dangerous because they're retiring, so they don't have shit to lose. (laughs) They don't have angry constituents or crazy Trump supporters to answer to if they decide not to support Kavanaugh. I think it all comes down to credibility. It all comes down to credibility. This is going to be a credibility battle. The White House knows that that's all they have. It's a he said, she said situation. Uh, you're going to hear the talking point. Now, uh, something that Kellyanne Conway said on Fox and Friends, of course, she said that, oh, you know, the, the accuser should be heard and, and we shouldn't be um, insulting her and she should be heard. Well, that was laughable. Yes, if it weren't coming out of Kellyanne Conway's mouth, because when last time I checked, the Trump supporters didn't think that Trump's accusers should be heard. They disparaged them. And some of those accusations against Donald Trump are more recent than 36 years ago. So which is it? If you want to be intellectually honest in this situation, which is it? Can't have it both ways, but they're going to try. So that's the talking point. They're gonna, it's the kinder, gentler approach, I guess, for now until Trump decides to tweet something crazy. But that's the approach they seem to be taking. They're a bit more cautious going after the accuser for now because I'm sure they're gearing up to tear her apart during, this confirm- during the hearing next, uh, next Monday that's now been scheduled. So this kinder, gentler approach, I think, is, is temporary until that hearing where I'm sure it's going to be, you know, Anita Hill versus Clarence Thomas on steroids, unfortunately. So there's that. Um, I just think that in a situation like this, we should, it's the Supreme Court. It's the most important position in our judiciary. And it's been tainted now. It's been tainted, no matter how you look at it. And I just think that perhaps Kavanaugh, you know, I don't know. Does he, is he deserving of this seat? I'm not so sure. I'm questioning his character. And I should not be questioning the character. We can disagree on, on judicial philosophy approaches to different cases. That's fine. It's fair game. But when you start to start talking about character issues, these are lifetime appointments. He's 50, early 50s, 52, 53 years old. He could be on the court for 40 more years. Do we really want another Republican nominated Supreme Court justice with a potential sexual harassment or sexual assault accusation against them. I just don't know how that looks or why it's necessary. We have plenty of other qualified conservative jurists that could be nominated and there's still time to do it. If Kavanaugh goes down, just something to consider. I, I, I just, it's, uh, I think it's just in this time, in this age, we need to send a message, especially to women. A sexual assault is serious. If, if there's enough of a doubt about it, then perhaps you don't get a seat on the Supreme Court. Perhaps you just get to stay on the D.C. Circuit Court. That's really not such a bad gig. I don't know. We'll find out soon enough. The hearings are next Monday. So that's going to be must-watch TV for those of us who are political nerds who are into that kind of stuff. Look, there are some serious issues out there, real problems, 
but one of them should never be finding great looking new blinds for your windows. That's why BlindsGalore.com is around. BlindsGalore.com was the first place to buy custom window treatments online, so they know what they're doing. Not only have they been in business for over 20 years, but they're also a family-owned business, and they've covered over 2 million windows, so they know exactly how to get the right blinds at the right price. They make it easy. Blinds Galore creates 100% custom window treatments built to your exact measurements down to every detail. You get professional designer quality products, but not at designer prices. In fact, they beat a lot of the big box store prices. Blinds Galore's products are hand-built from scratch, delivered right to your door, and created just for your windows. I think that really sets them apart because a lot of places they have prefabricated products, and but Blinds Galore doesn't do that. Everything is built from scratch, just for you. Their expert team is happy to help you every step of the way, either online or over the phone which is something else that I think is important because nowadays it's great to talk to a human being. Blinds Galore offers you that option. Plus, they have the industry's best guarantee. If you don't like your custom blinds or your shades for any reason at all, wrong color, you measured wrong, you don't like the style, whatever, you can just exchange it for another covering for absolutely free. Blinds Galore will even set you up with 15 free samples and free shipping on top of their free expertise. It doesn't get any better than that. So whether you need more privacy, you wanna sleep in, or just fix up a room, BlindsGalore.com has just what you're looking for. Blinds Galore makes it easy to get the custom blinds and shades you've always wanted in your home. Go check out BlindsGalore.com and let them know that I, Tara Setmayer, sent you. That's BlindsGalore.com. What else is going on? Well, um, Trump has decided to release, declassify some FISA documents in relation to the Russia investigation. Carter Page, a name that may sound familiar. If anybody watched CNN during 2017, Carter Page showed up a number of times he never should have gone on television because this guy is completely out of his mind. Uh, I don't even know if he has legal counsel because no one would possibly want this guy on air. He's terrible. Um, but he was a foreign policy campaign advisor for the Trump administration for the Trump campaign during 2016. And he is all up in it with the Russians and has been for years. He's been on the radar of intelligence services for years They've been suspicious of him being recruited by the Russians uh, as a foreign agent. Um, and he's he's been a very strange figure. But they ended up getting enough info, gathering enough information to get a FISA warrant, which allows the government to monitor and surveil him. And the FISA court was set up to make sure that the 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 process of getting a surveillance warrant like that was pretty thorough. So it's not easy. You just just don't just walk in and say, yeah, we want to check this guy. I mean, there there are protocols. And there was really no reason to believe that those protocols weren't followed in order to get this FISA warrant for, for Carter Page until Donald Trump 
started freaking out over the Mueller investigation in Russia and calling it a witch hunt and all this and that. And then they started the ca- the campaign to undermine our intelligence services, undermine the FBI and create this whole political witch hunt, no collusion narrative. Fox News and Sean Hannity, they have been pushing this narrative. Uh, chairman of the Intelligence Committee, Committee Devin Nunes has just made a mockery of that of that committee, completely in the pocket of the president, acting completely inappropriately, sharing information with the White House he shouldn't have been. I mean, it's a disaster. The intelligence community used to be a nonpartisan committee. They used to say that partisanship ended at the water's edge. Well, that's out the freaking window with this administration. And the Carter Page FISA stuff. That's what the whole big memo, memo gate was earlier this year, where Devin Nunes came out with this memo trying to say that that there were abuses at the FBI. And then the Democrats released their report, which pretty much rebutted the Nunes report because it wasn't what Nunes claimed wasn't really in it. They, they had parts of the FISA application and all of it stems from the, the dossier, this Christopher Steele dossier. That's the salacious dossier that came out that included some stuff about the golden showers and Trump and prostitutes in Moscow and all that. But there were other things in it that were that there was enough information that the FBI felt matched up with some of their information from their sources that they used some of the dossier in order to get the FISA warrant, not all of it. That's a narrative that's been pushed by Fox News and the conservative media that it was all about the dossier that was paid for by Hillary Clinton. And it, yes, it was paid for by a law firm that that the Clinton campaign contracted to do opposition research. That's not abnormal. That doesn't change what was credible enough deemed by our intelligence services to move forward because Christopher Steele had been he'd been a reliable source in the past. So it's it's all has has the dossier been verified some parts have some parts haven't but it's raw intelligence it wasn't written to for you know to pass muster in a court of law it was raw intelligence and that's how that works so but the bottom line is that now here we are it's it there's a lot going on but trump is constantly tweeting about this and he constantly tweets about these people in 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 the justice department he talks about you know Former Director Comey, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Bruce Orr. Strzok, Page, and Orr are the latest ones that he's really been targeting since Comey's been out. McCabe got fired. So Strzok and Page, they were having an affair and texting each other during the 2016 campaign and during the beginnings of the of the of the Russia investigation. Um, so, you know, that's inappropriate. No, no question about it. They shouldn't have been texting each other these things, insulting Trump uh, during the campaign. That's no good. But that doesn't mean that what they were doing wasn't legit. And Bruce Orr was also in the in the FBI, and his wife worked for a company, Fusion GPS, that had something to do with the dossier. So Trump thinks that it was one big conspiracy to take him out, and they just made all this stuff up about Russia. Well, um, that would be a pretty elaborate scheme. Were there some inappropriate things going on? Yes, there was an inspector general's report 
that uncovered some of these things and people were punished and lost their jobs for it. But this whole deep state conspiracy stuff is completely out of control. And Trump just continues to undermine our intelligence communities. And I think that's just dangerous. They're not perfect. There needs to be oversight. But what Trump is doing is ridiculous. And now he's trying to redact parts of this FISA warrant, which used to be secret. These things were supposed to be secret. It was supposed to be about, you know, terrorism and and top secret stuff like that. It's not meant to be in public view. So now he's only releasing declassifying parts of of this FISA warrant. Well, why only parts of it? Either do it or don't. Personally, I don't think any of this should be unclassified right now. There's an ongoing investigation. This puts this puts sources and methods at risk, which makes our country less safe. But the president has a political vendetta and by hell or high water, he's going to go after his political enemies and he's using the power of the presidency to do it. This is a dangerous precedent. Imagine if Hillary Clinton did this or if Barack Obama decided to do any of this. Forget it. This is not okay. They're trying to say it's under the go- the, the guise of transparency. Bullshit. No, not during in the middle of, a, of an investigation that you're a subject of. So that's what Trump is doing now. He's, in my opinion, abusing his power as president to declassify information in an attempt to punish his political enemies who happen to be members of the intelligence community and our Department of Justice and FBI. How is this serving the interests of the American people? It's not. It's not. Which leads me to another story about a GOP donor in Ohio who has decided to leave the Republican Party and become an independent. He said, that's it. I've had enough of the nonsense. This is probably one example of that nonsense, what I just talked about, the president's abuse of his power. But he actually talks about um, Charlottesville and just the president's lack of decency and he and the way the Republican Party has reacted to it. He's sick of it. He's sick of it. Who's the donor? Well, he's Ohio's wealthiest Republican donor. His name is Leslie Wegsner. And um, he is the founder and CEO of L Brands. L Brands is a holding company that includes Victoria's Secret, Bath and Body Works. I love Bath and Body Works, by the way. I go there all the time for their candles <laughs> and their creams and their soaps. They're great. I love it. But anyway, so he um, he's the founder of, of that company. He's got lots of money. Backed Mitt Romney. Him and his wife, they donated like $2 million to candidates in 2016. Um, they were big backers of Jeb Bush. So some would say, oh, yeah, they're they're the squishy rhino Republicans. Well, some would also say they're common sense, sane Republicans. So Wexner, he's never been happy with Trump. Um, he said that he, he lost sleep at night after Charlottesville. He's also Jewish. So, you know, seeing a bunch of uh, white supremacists with torches things you know chanting blood and soil and jews jews will not replace us and the president of the united states coming out a couple days later and saying oh well there's good people on both sides a little unnerving i guess i don't blame him for deciding to keep his money and not give it to republicans anymore i hear him you know until the republican party gets gets some balls and stands up to trump and gets some moral authority back 
I wouldn't give them a dime either. So you know what, Mr. Wexner, good for you. Good for you. Whether that makes a difference or not, I don't know. We'll see. But it has to start somewhere. These Republicans have got to pay a price for what they've done. Selling this country down the river, compromising Republican principles for Donald Trump and his and and protecting his agenda. Some things, yes, are good. Tax cuts are good. Deregulation on some things to help businesses, great. But we didn't need Trump. And I'm going to say this often. We did not need Donald Trump to do this. We could have had any sane Republican and still have the thing, the positive policy um, outcomes without all the chaos, without undermining our democratic norms, institutions, and ideals. And I stick with that. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So, Mr. Wexner, thank you for putting your money where your mouth is and not supporting the crazy. (laughs) Well, you know who else doesn't support the crazy? Rick Wilson who is my episode two guest. Rick is a seasoned Republican political strategist and infamous negative ad maker. His regular column with the Daily Beast is a must read in the political community. He's published in the Washington Post, Politico, The Hill, The Federalist. He's also a frequent guest on Real Time with Bill Maher, also on CNN, MSNBC, NPR, and other national networks. Rick lives in Tallahassee. He's married. He has three dogs and a nameless cat, which I will ask him about. (laughs) He also has a new book out called Everything Trump Touches Dies. A Republican strategist gets real about the worst president ever. And anyone who knows Rick knows that he's no left winger. He's a lifelong conservative who delivers his withering critique of Trump from the right. He's a leader of the Never Trump movement. He takes on his own party to warn them of the political catastrophe Trump has caused and concludes that everyone involved with Trump leaves with their reputation destroyed and their life in tatters. Um, I've read the book and it's excellent. So without further ado, for the uninitiated, the one and only Rick Wilson. Thank you for joining me, Rick. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so glad to be with you, Tara. Thanks so much for having me. Well, when I decided to start this podcast and I was going through guest lists of potential people, and I said, Rick Wilson has to be one of my first guests. So I'm so (laughs) glad that we were able to make it work. (laughs) Well, I I am too. The the pace of this book tour has been kind of crazy. So I'm glad we found a window here. You and me both. Well, with that said, speaking of crazy... That seems to be the theme of every freaking day of this administration. <laughs> Is there ever a day that there's not some kind of crazy going on? Um, I, I, I think, you know, we used to think of we used to think of like these early parts of the Trump era of, oh, my God, this is more chaos than we could have in a month in a normal administration. And now it's just like every day is like a it's like a month of 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 insanity and, and distraction and mistakes and I, I just keep wondering uh, every week, like, wow, we dodged another bullet. We, we, we made it through to Friday once again, another, another successful infrastructure week. <laughs> yeah, but then remember back in the day when Fridays and weekends used to be a reprieve, right? That's when you didn't want real stories to come out and you didn't want anybody to pay attention. So you dumped it on a Friday or, you know, Sunday, you could probably enjoy a nice day at church or a brunch with your family or something. 
that's out the window, man. There, no time is sacred with this guy in the right. No, we we know. No, there's there, you know that old saw about you know you you know you're living in a in a healthy democracy when you don't have to talk about politics all the time. <laughs> well, now we have to talk about politics all the time. We're constantly um, in the middle of it and constantly, uh, uh, you know, we can't take our eye off the screen anymore because it, you know, you never know what kind of craziness is going to be tweeted or ordered or, or done in our, in our names. You know, when, when I got into politics 25 years ago, um, I never thought that I would ever be in the middle of something like this. You know, I came of political age in the 90s. I went to George Washington University. I was there when Republicans took back Congress after 40 years of being in the wilderness. I was there during the whole Clinton impeachment debacle. I was there for the government shutdowns and Newt Gingrich. And I was like exhilarated by all of that. I was fascinated. Sure. I thought we were, you know, working hard for the conservative cause on the front lines. And I thought that that was about as crazy it was, as it was going to get. Maybe even the 2000 recount. I was at George Washington starting in 83. And, you know, so I was there during the, the middle of Reagan and it felt like the conservative movement had this arc. And yeah, we would have up times and down times. And, you know, it looked like we were moving, you know, between the time. And I worked for the for the administration of the, the, the first President Bush. And, you know, we had we had, we had the Clinton victory. But there was this sense that the conservative movement had its bearings and we were going to have this long and and hopefully successful, you know, upswing over generation. And, and now uh, all of the stuff that, you know, good and bad that's happened, um, it, it seems like the conservatism you and I grew up in is is now been replaced by this Trumpish populism. And I, I don't know where the movement goes anymore. It's really hard to see a pathway for it most days. And that's what's, what's most disconcerting, I think, for those of us who have dedicated most of our adult lives to the conservative movement in politics is, is that we're watching this deteriorate in front of our eyes. And we say, what, where do we go now? How do we possibly rebuild from this? Where do we go? Or is there any, going to be anything left to rebuild? I think that's been the challenge for those of us yeah. in the Trump movement and why we are so passionately against Donald Trump and what he has done. I mean, there I'm sure there's some policies. That a couple, there's a couple things that I'm like, okay, that's great. Yeah, taxes, that's great. But yeah. is it worth it? And I, I, I just, in my opinion, I just don't think so. And I think you probably feel the same. I agree. I mean, look, some of these like policy, you know, and, and administrative decisions, I'm sure that if I ground down on a lot of them, I would say, OK, well, we probably need to lighten up this or that regulatory burden here or there. Um, but what we sacrifice to get there, I think, is so tremendous. It's not just, you know, the, the on the policy side where, where the president is advocating things that are frankly statist um, and frankly, you know, I, I was told picking winners and losers was bad. And, you know, now we pick winners and losers in our economy. And and now we have a sort of a, a, a command and control presidency where, you know, they're going to have trade wars. They're going to have, you know, this company's good and this company's bad. Um, and, and we've also ended up in this situation, I think, which is very damaging to us, is that we've set a really low bar now for presidential behavior. And, you know, I remember Republicans used to tear their hair out about how undignified the White House was under Bill Clinton. And now, you know, it's it's the the chaos and the craziness there. I mean, 
when the when the when the Ocasio Cortez administration begins, we're not going to have much room to talk about the craziness. Right, that's right. That's right. As as they're sucking the the life out of every economic dollar anyone ever made to pay for their social democratic socialist agenda, then people are going to go, "Wait, what? How did this happen?" I remember when also not only during the the Clinton administration, and and there are those like the current Vice President Pence and others like Lindsey mm-hmm. Graham. I mean, plenty of Republicans on record going on the, the floor of the House or the Senate or on their radio shows, going on and on about how immoral Bill Clinton is and what a disgrace he was to the office of the presidency and all that. I mean, you could go down oh, the yes. list and, and Donald Trump has done all of those things and more, yet now it's okay. I mean, it's un- unbelievable. The people like who went off on, on Obama for wearing a tan suit, for God's sakes, Right, are, are making excuses for you know potential child molesters running for the Senate more and more. It's so true, and it and it's this it's this endless sort of grind now of, you know they they make one excuse and they have to make another excuse and they have to make another excuse. Well, you know it's not as bad as X. It's not as bad as Y. Well, those things are getting pretty thin now. You know, just saying we're not as bad as Nixon is no, is not sufficient in my mind. Ex- exactly. You know, when you look at the landscape and, and given your many decades of experience here with this, um, what would you say so far during this Trump era has been the absolute lowest point where you thought it can't get any worse than this? Well, I think there's one thing that, that is that is an ongoing issue for, for it getting worse is the constant tearing down of the idea of the rule of law. And the and the the constant attacks on our institutions like the FBI and the Justice Department and this and this constant sort of acidic nature of, you know, Trump wants to be treated like he's a royal, not a president. He, he acts like you know the law should bend to him and that loyalty is demanded to him personally by anyone who works for this government. Well, he, he thinks he's a mob boss, not a president. And it shows every day. And I think that is a very corrosive uh, daily occurrence. Um, and look, I think a lot of the other stuff that, that, you know, advocating for Roy Moore was a pretty, pretty low, low spot in our history as a, as a country. So, um, but, but it's the constant stuff more than the, more than the individual temper tantrums. You know, I, from a, from a political perspective, I thought that the Roy Moore, I thought that the, that the access Hollywood pussy grab video was, would have sunk Trump. I really did. I thought that was yeah. it. Um, and when I saw how quickly Republicans backtracked and decided that they were going to support this guy anyway, I yeah. thought, oh, my God, this is it. The party's over. No, we well, and that's one of the things. Yeah. You know, Tara, that's a really good point. And 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 these guys who all made these compromises about Trump it, and they, you know, they, at first they're temporary, then they're permanent, then they're destructive. You know, it's okay. We'll hold our breath to get past Hillary. Oh, we'll hold our breath to get past the tax bill. And now that they own all of the, the negative elements of Trump, and the and the and the downside risks of Trump, now they're looking at the at the calendar coming at them, saying, "Oh, oh gosh, we've got 50 days till the election, and we're all screwed." It's true, and and the the, the Faustian bargain that they've all entered into is just so short sighted because. There, there will be a time when Donald Trump is no more, hopefully. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, he will not be this menace to our, our government anymore. He won't be in power. And then what? How do we ever, as a party, come back and take any moral position on anything? 
That's the part that that worries me the most. We we the party is in no position to criticize anyone ever again on the issue of character. Of course, look if you're a 2020 Democratic candidate, and and you are running for office, and let's just hypothesize. Let's just, let's just imagine for a moment you have a, a a Democratic candidate who is a known philanderer who screws everything in sight, um, who refuses to turn over his taxes and business records. And you know what he gets to do? He gets to go out there and say, nope, screw you. The rules are the rules. You guys said Donald Trump didn't have to do it, so I'm not doing it. That's right. So we're going we, to we, – when we dissolve those institutional norms and those, and those standards that we have, we, that's where we end up getting into this really sad and I think, I think dangerous uh, area for our country because you know, the same rules that apply right now um, – the, the jump ball stuff that's going on for, with the Kavanaugh uh, uh, nomination, these things are going to be applied on the other side as well. They're going to come back and use the same tactics. And their answer is you let Trump do it. Yeah. And we don't have, we don't have a pushback for that. No, we don't. And, and there, there haven't been enough Republicans and, and you talk about this in your book and we'll talk about your book in a little bit, but you, you call out the hypocrisy of people who you thought would have been the stalwarts who would have been the guardrails um, like Speaker yeah. Ryan, perhaps, who should know better. And and the fact that they, when they had the opportunity to stop Trump early on, they didn't. They acquiesced. And it, it, it's been nearly impossible for them to come back, even when there have been opportunities for people to sure. take a stand and finally say, all right, I might not have done it before, but this is where I put my foot down. And I think the Roy Moore situation was was an example of that. The amazing thing to me is that Roy Moore's consultant was a guy who had worked for Jeb Bush. He was a moderate Republican, just like a lot of other Florida guys. He wasn't, you know, a hard right cuckoo person. He wasn't, you know, um, he wasn't somebody who was so far out there. And I kept wondering, like, how is he do? What is he doing this? Why does he want to be in this role in this campaign? And basically, from what some people around him. Well, what some people around him told me was, you know, he thinks that Trumpism is the future and populism is the future. And this is a Trumpist populist candidate, no matter what's wrong with him. He's better than any Democrat. And and, and you know, it's it's a it's a trial run to be a campaign person for Trump. And, da, 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 da. and I was like, wow, that is a moral collapse of the first degree uh, that, you know, that's a great way to frame it, because that's what it, that's exactly what it is. And so many of these people who. Uh, who have been involved, um, they're just looking at their own self-preservation. And they said, well, if this is what the future is going to be, then in, in order for me to keep getting my paychecks in this business, I guess I need to hop on this train, despite the fact that it's eroding our democratic norms, institutions, and ideals, despite the fact sure. that our founding fathers warned us against this kind of populism, this kind of nationalism. We were warned about this. It's why we have a Democrat. That's why we have a republic, a constitutional republic, and not a direct uh-huh. democracy. Well, and Terry, you know, the, 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 the idea that, that we're a republic is one that, that Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, should all treasure. This idea that we're going to give in to the emotional uh, addiction of populism, on the, it, it frightens me from the left or the right. And, it, and I think it, it, it should you know, and, and I hear on Constitution Day, yes, the old Ben Franklin line, you have a republic or a monarchy, we have a republic if we can keep it. Mm-hmm. 
But on both sides of the political equation, the people that want to run down this populist pathway, they lead us into an area that's either a leftist authoritarian or right authoritarian um, alleyway that I think is a really bad dead end for our country if we do it. And if we don't stop, you know, the, this this constant desire to be, um, you know, to, to, to play to the you know, the, the, the edges of both parties rather than the centers of both parties. And it was Adams who said that every democracy eventually commits suicide. And I always joke with people that we're, you know, the, the razor blades like right at the jugular <laughs> right mm-hmm. now where we are. You know, this is this is not a joke. And I just don't think enough Americans recognize that the the erosion of these democratic norms, institutions and ideals is very dangerous the attacks on framing the 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 media at the free press as the enemy of the people and having surveys that have come out polls that have shown that what 30 something percent of republicans believe that now those kinds of things when you're eroding at things that make us great that separate us and our constitutional republic from others when those kinds of foundations start to get chipped away at that's the beginning of the end that's why i think at least I know for me why I'm so passionate about staying consistent, calling out this bullshit every day, because if we don't, who will? No. And, 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 you know, the, the, I had an ironic moment today. I had a a fairly well-known conservative movement person call me and say, you know, Rick, you could be Nixon to China. You could be right now, you could be helping save Brett Kavanaugh and you could be helping the party and the and the movement right now, and you're 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 silent on it. Why? Why won't you get in this fight? I said, I'm not welcome in this fight anymore, because mm-hmm. this fight for me was about the bigger principles, and and everything you guys have done is in has sacrificed those principles, and you've walked away from everything, and you've fetishized getting a Supreme Court justice or two, and you'll sacrifice every other institution, norm, principle, philosophy, policy, and belief to get there. And I said, I don't think of that as being representative of conservatism in a meaningful way. That's right. And and not enough. I just don't think enough people who are inside, who are the, the power players, recognize how dangerous bringing Trump into this would actually be. They were naive. You know, I'm from New Jersey. I talk about this all the time. I'm a Jersey sure. girl. And I grew up right, right outside of New York City. I grew up you know, reading the New York Post and page six and all of those things. And so I was not unfamiliar with the kind of charlatan that Donald Trump was, the joke con man that he was or what he did to Atlantic City. I wasn't unfamiliar with it. And I tried to warn people, this guy is who he is. He's not changing. So if you think Paul Ryan, you know, Mr. Nice Guy from Wisconsin, that you're going to pull the puppet strings on Donald Trump once he gets into office, you are sadly mistaken. But I think they all underestimated it. A lot of these people just thought, oh, he'll become presidential when he gets there. Just wishful thinking, I think. And then there then it was. Too uh, late. Uh, yeah. And by the time by the time he was inside the House um, and and by the time there was a critical mass inside of, of Ryan's own caucus, you know, there are probably 40 or 50 hardcore real Trumpers in the House who like believe all the BS, right. who, like buy into the whole whole bullshit. Right. But that's enough to make Paul Ryan's life miserable every day, and he can't he can't govern unless he has those people at least somewhat on board. He had to make this 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 decision, which I think was the wrong decision. But that's just me. Um, he had to make this decision, and and he made it in a way that the worst possible outcome. 
he told his people, don't, you know, keep me a speaker and I will make sure we get things done for Donald Trump. And even though Donald Trump blew up things over and over again, you know, Obamacare repeal one and two uh, were blown up because of Donald Trump. And I spoke to a member of Ryan's, uh, a very senior Ryan person, right after Donald Trump had blown up the first version of Obamacare repeal. And he said that Paul was shocked that the guy wouldn't shut up and just wouldn't let them do the work. They, 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 they were, they were, they were just stunned. It's like, wait, well, as long as he keeps his mouth shut, we can get this thing passed. Well, he will never keep his mouth shut. He will never be disciplined. He will never be focused. There will never be a better. I, I say this a lot. There is no better Donald Trump. That's right. There is no, there is no better version of Donald Trump. There's no, there's no conscious, mindful, smart Donald Trump. It's just Donald Trump, only and always. The same thing, same guy, same story all day. If, the, if winning the presidency doesn't change you for the better, then nothing will. And you and I have both been in the White House. You know, and, and, and you're, you're in the White House and you get this sense even as a visitor there. I remember the first time I went in the Oval to do a briefing when I was a young guy. And I was standing in there and I was just like, oh, my God. And I could feel this like weight of history and 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 everything in that room. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Donald Trump ever feels that. I don't think he ever experiences that that majesty of being president and the majesty of the White House, and the majesty of the responsibility for 350 million Americans. I just don't think he's I think he's immune to those the, you know, those particular better angels. Uh, I I would say that that's safe to assume. <laughs> I don't think Donald Trump feels anything. That was something during the election that I warned people about also. I said, you know, when you have someone like this, where do they draw, where do they draw from when it's time to make those tough decisions? When you're president of the United States, it's a job that's bigger than yourself. And Donald Trump is completely incapable of comprehending right. anything bigger than himself. Even, you know, even though everything, you know, including his hands is bigger but, you know, he, you know, bigger than his hands. But it's, um, but the, it's, it's impossible. So you're asking him to be someone he's incapable of being. You're asking him to behave in a way he's incapable of behaving. There, there is no better Trump. There never will be. And, and people who expected him to mature or to grow or to, or to be, like I said, or to be mindful in some way, it's always been a, it's always been a hallucination. It's always been a, a, a magical thinking at, on its best moment. Um, but you know, I, I'm also I'm also convinced that a lot of people in D.C. you know are pure opportunists, um, and and they have said that to themselves. Well, you know, he may be flawed, he may be an ass, he may be a maybe a fool, but maybe I can get my you know my tax provision in the in the in the tax bill. Maybe I can get my my, you know, uh, coal regulations undone. And a lot of those people aren't wrong. They're able to use, you know, they're able to BS this guy. They con the con man all the time. <laughs> That's true. Because Washington is Washington. And you're right. It's full of opportunists and a lot of smart people that know how to manipulate the system for their best interest. And oh, yes. that is not going away. The whole drain the swamp thing was just a focus grouped 
line. That's, like that's Kellyanne bullshit writ large right there. That's exactly right. And Trump, I mean, the, the funny thing about it is the, the hypocrisy, because this is one of the swampiest, most conflicted administrations, oh, way Lord, worse yes. than anything I've seen in recent years, probably since back to the Clintons, and it might even be worse than that. Yeah, the Clinton stuff to me seemed like very small ball. Right. You know, it was, it was get my cousin a job in the travel office. Okay, fine. Right. This is major, like, here's a million-dollar check to your inauguration committee. Now undo all the clean water rules about coal, and they, you know, march off and do it. I find myself constantly kind of laughing about these people who for years had, you know, uh, both justifiable and unjustifiable fears of Muslims. And, and, you know, the justifiable parts were, were about, um, you know, the Al Qaeda and ISIS attacks on our country. Um, and the unjustifiable parts were the, you know, we're all going to be under Sharia law in five minutes because Barack Obama is a Kenyan Muslim. You know, the crazy on the one end and the rational on the other. Well, now, you know, these are people who know that the Russians know who and what they are, and they treat them like, well, they're at least at least they're not Clinton or Democrats, so he's fine. Putin's fine. This whole thing of, well, the press is the enemy, and all this, all the Russia things are fake news, and uh, and, and we, we need to have, increase our libel laws to prevent reporters from saying things that the president doesn't like. I mean, if that doesn't make people like raise an eyebrow and go, hey, um, no. I don't know where we're going to be in, in five years if that's the case. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've actually lost friends, people who I've known for a sure. long time, even people that my family's gone to church with. Like, mm-hmm. we thought we knew. We do not speak anymore. We are unfriended on Facebook because oh, yeah. they have completely freaking lost their minds defending yep. things that they would never, a fraction of them would never have have defended if it were if it had been a Democrat. Barry, you're one hundred percent right, and I I have experienced this in with many of my friends, my me, my professional colleagues. Obviously, um, you know oh there God. are a lot of guys who are consultants that that have been friends of mine for 10, 20, 30 years, and while we're still friends, they say things like, "Don't ever mention me, please. I'll lose my job," or or hey. Um, I want to come to this party with you, but uh, can we have a no social media rule because, you know, I'll lose my job. My clients will the, – the White House will have people call my clients and fire me. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. But, you know, the, the irony of this is the, the whole thing about the, the belief in the Trump system is, you know, we don't need all these fancy consultants and all these experts on things. We'll just have Twitter and Fox News and the world will be well. Um, that is that is being put to the test right now with a lot of campaigns and uh, not going as well as they had hoped. The uh, the idea you can just be like a little Trumper is is was was fallacious from the beginning. And now it's getting getting actually dangerous for you know 30 or 40 of these elected Republicans who are out there um, sucking wind and wondering why they can't raise money and why they're losing. Right. In you know, districts. Well, that's a that's a good transition into where you think we're going in the midterms. Um, do you do you think that the Republicans are going to hold the House, or do you think it's going to be a wave? I don't think we're going to hold the House, um, and I I think that both from you know the, the all the external survey data and the anecdotal stuff of candidates I'm talking to all over the country, um, 
and I, and I and I think you know there's one guy to blame for that, and it's Donald Trump. And and as much as his people will say that you know there's going to be a red wave, there's not a red wave anywhere in sight. Um, and so I think the Democrats are probably going to end up with 35 or 40 seats uh, on the lower boundary. If 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 Donald Trump continues his behavior like he's been the last 10 days for the next couple of weeks, they could end up with a you know, uh, a, a 45 to 55 seat win. And I think at that point, we've got a real problem as a party. You know, look, two weeks ago, I would have told you the Senate was solidly still going to be Republican, that a lot of the fundamentals look good. Right now, it is a crapshoot. You've got some places where, you know, where the Democrats are starting to pull away. Like they, people, they thought they were going to take West Virginia. It does not look like they're going to win West Virginia. Um, I don't think they're going to win North Dakota. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I think Claire McCaskill is one of the luckiest people in politics. I think she ends up escaping, um, which, you know, is a shame. And if this was president Jeb Bush with this economy, Josh Hawley would be a shoe him. Oh, no He'd question. be done. It would be over by now, but you know, it's not. And, and we have to face the fact that, that every single race is contingent in some way on what Donald Trump tweets in a few days before the election. And, and that that craziness is very high. Yes. And that danger is very high for even good candidates. So, I mean, they, they Republicans may pick up Florida just because Rick Scott has a billion dollars. He is somewhere between 300 and $700 million at the lower boundary. Oh, wow. $300 million is like the super conservative estimate. He can drop he, and, and he's demonstrated it before. He can easily drop $100 million in this race if he wanted to. I don't think he can spend that all in the next 50 days, but he can change the game anytime he wants to. This and Bill is the, Nelson is 300 years old, so. That's right. I forget that he's still there. He looks like he looks like a wax figure. When you see, he does. You know, I've said this before, and it still pains me to believe that I'm actually in this position, but I actually am rooting for Republicans to lose the House. Because I think that's the only way we're going to see a course correction. The yeah. only way you change yeah. in politics is if you pay a price. It's kind of like in life, too. You never really change drastically until you've paid enough of a price. I don't that's want to right. the Senate because we need something. We need to balance out the crazy when the Democrats take over because yep. <laughs> that's a different kind of crazy. But um, I, I think that if there's any chance of Republicans, the ones who do survive, Finally, getting some balls again and deciding yep. to push back against what Trump has been doing to the presidency, they have to pay the price of losing the House. I, I think that's right, Tara. And, and you know, the pain is the only teacher in politics. Yep. And, and losing. And, and, and losing is the ultimate pain in politics. Yep. So these guys who, who have treated this as if it's some sort of, of you know, special exemption where we get to blow up everything we claim to believe in just to just to, to you know pass a few executive orders and to nominate some judges you know and when they were told and and they were they were briefed repeatedly that there are political negatives to this to trumpish behavior and to the sort of look and feel of trumpism as a political movement and they just didn't care they they they've laughed it off and they they've tried to say oh well you know, you guys are just a bunch of rhino establishment shills. You don't care about you know making America great. Well, it doesn't matter how many times you tell them that women, young people, Hispanics, African Americans hate Donald Trump. They still think 
that, you know, because Republicans love him, that's sufficient. Well, it obviously is not sufficient. But Rick, don't you know that black unemployment is at the lowest it's ever been in history for women, for Asians, for Native Americans, everybody. Everything is wonderful because of of the savior, Donald Trump. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard that. I've heard that a time or two. And um, the same people that are saying that right now with a straight face are, were were saying, oh, Barack Obama is, is you know destroying the economy by borrowing all this money and the Federal Reserve and doing quantitative easing is the, mo- the ultimate political evil. And, you know, we're going to pay the price for this and debt and deficits matter and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> $21 trillion, folks, and counting. Thank you, yeah. Donald Trump. Uh, that ain't nothing. Right. Oh, well, so what? You got a tax cut and, and butter emails. Um, <laughs> so you, we, this, this, the Kavanaugh thing is going on right now. And you sure. mentioned earlier that um, that a, a unnamed conservative consultant friend of yours said, hey, why aren't you joining the fight to save Kavanaugh? What are your thoughts on this? I have my own thoughts on this whole thing. Um, I, I think that of all the conservative jurists that exist in this country, we couldn't find one that didn't have this kind of baggage um, or we couldn't find one that we knew for sure wouldn't run into these problems. Um, and here we are now with Kavanaugh. Now, some will say there was no way to know because this happened in high school, the accusation right. of of him sexually assaulting um, a, a teenage girl. Um, there was no way to know this. It was never reported. He was vetted multiple times for different positions. Yep. Um, and that's, that's probably true. I mean, if she didn't say anything to anyone, there was nothing for the FBI or anyone to uncover. But now that it's Correct. out there, uh, what, what were your thoughts when you were, were, did you support Kavanaugh before? What did you think when you first heard the accusation? And what do you think now that the accuser is public? Well, I, I, this, this, there's, there's a multiple layer question here, and um, I had largely stayed out of this particular fight, in part because, you know, the, like, like I said, there were a lot. There's been a lot of for the last year and a half of, of, you know, screw you, you're a traitor because you don't love Donald Trump, and, and you know, you, you're not, you're not, you don't want a MAGA, so you're out of the business, you're out of the family, blah blah blah. So basically, I was just like. I really don't. I mean, I care about these ideological questions, but I really wasn't going to put any emotional energy into it. Yeah, I understand. Um, you know, and I just, I, I just, I, I, I had heard of Kavanaugh slightly. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't. He wasn't one of the people that I, I knew personally that was on the list. Um, and I, you know, I knew he was basically a Federalist Society guy, and so my presumption was that he'd been fairly well vetted, and that it would be hard to pull off a stunt like this. But on the other hand, we now live in a world where you have to expect a stunt like this every single time, mm-hmm. where there's no there's no there's no nomination that's ever going to go easy again for their side or ours. I mean, there's no there's there's never going to be a moment where where the Democrats get to wake up and say, hey, we're going to nominate X or Y liberal that we don't do this exact same shenanigan. You know, we don't find the girl from high school who said that he, you know, grabbed her or something. So part of what this whole nomination fight represents is this collapse of of standards. And we both sides have fetishized the Supreme Court. They've decided that, you know, they can't win legislatively. So we're going to have the you know, we're going to we're going to empower the Supreme Court as the is the is the one crux of all decision making and the one center of all these all these, you know, political questions. 
which I think is not really that the intent of the framers, but you know, what do I know anymore? <laughs> um, and, and so I think it's, you know, I think that we both sides have got all the tools in the, in the toolbox uh, out and they're using them. Both sides are going to, you know, do everything they can to destroy the personal character and lives of, of, you know, anybody in the, in the game that they disagree with politically. So does he get confirmed? Uh, you know, I think he's still got about a uh, three to two shot of being confirmed because Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell, you know, this is what Democrats always underestimate. Yeah, this story was a huge story. It caused a big explosion. You know who I give a damn? Mitch McConnell. He will power this thing through and Democrats will go, oh, it's unfair. It's horrible. It's evil. And Mitch McConnell does not care. He does not give a rat's ass what they say which is a great superpower if you're an elected official. People underestimate the power that Mitch McConnell has or that the Senate majority leader yep. has. They just, because the Senate's always looked at as this tight ass kind of, you know, boring mm -hmm. things move slowly. Mm -hmm. People, unless you're inside the beltway, you really have no idea the power the Senate majority leader yields when it comes to passing legislation. Absolutely. When it comes to these kinds of things like nominations, judges, treaties, uh, that advise and consent yep. stuff for the, for the Senate is powerful for a reason. Um, but I, you know, I said this earlier. If, if anybody doesn't think that he's had um, um, Lisa Murkowski and and Sue Collins' vote in his pocket since the beginning, they're out of their minds. You know, this all this drama, all this um, all this like, oh, will he or won't he? Will she? You know, it's all been just drama. McConnell's had this thing under control from the beginning. Unless there's some other like, right. corroboration where he he got a parking ticket in front of this woman's house and they found it. Right. The movie was there. Right. <laughs> you know, unless there's something like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. It's going to be a credibility battle. It's a he said, she said. And the White House, McConnell, yep. everyone, they're banking on Kavanaugh's exemplary record, professional record yep. outside of this. I've, and, and, you know, I'm not so sure. I'm on the fence about whether I think this guy deserves deserves it um to be on the supreme court with this allegation out there right. not saying that democrats don't pull these kinds of dirty tricks they have yeah oh and look and look this up. this is a dirty trick i know no doubt about it okay but hi it's politics yeah, that's right this is this is standard operating procedure and you would know this because you sir have <laughs> yourself i have done a, a i have done a dirty trick too <laughs> but you you're not shy about that you know t pe people have to know politics ain't beanbag i say it all the time nope. and you know you've got to have thick skin to to be in this business and to do what you do so in, in in of all of the the ads and the campaigns that you've been involved in can you think of like any uh anything that you did where you, you look back and you go man i kind of that was kind of bad you know i've always had a couple of really strict rules for myself about how i how I conduct the ads, and they're as hard as they've been. They're always really well researched, so I'm never I'm never caught up in a lie of you know I don't stretch the truth when it comes down to talking about um, you know somebody's record. I keep that stuff very tight, um, and I don't really have a lot of I don't really have a lot of moments where I've said oh that was too much that was too far. Um, even though a lot of Democrats freak out about some of the things I've, I've done in terms of ads but you know that's that's i mean i got paid to take their lunch money so i took their lunch money right. and and did it in a way that was really really tough 
really, really hard edged a lot of the time, but also with a certain ethical background to it that that wasn't, you know, trivial. I wasn't I wasn't I didn't play this game, you know, for the sport of just blowing people up, blowing people up. You know, happened a lot, but well, it wasn't just because I wanted to. Right. Well, it's, it's not my fault your candidate's terrible. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, hey, sorry, it's not my fault we were able to exploit the weaknesses of your candidate. What was your favorite campaign to ever work on? Gosh, you know what? I, I, I have a lot of campaigns I've really, really loved over the years. Um, but I, I used to enjoy, because after 2008, <laughs> sorry, my dogs are barking at me, I did much more super PAC stuff. And it was fun. It was, it was, it was, it got me off the road. I used to travel like 200 days a year and all this, you know, crazy consultant business stuff. Um, but I, 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 one of the candidate campaigns I kept was uh, Jim Douglas, the governor of Vermont. And it became so fun to do like a race where I've done bigger county commission races. I've done bigger state house races than the whole state of Vermont. Right. But it was just like such great, you had to, it was such a great, complicated, tiny puzzle to solve every year. And we helped elect a Republican governor in Vermont four times, um, which, you know, if I get no if I get no credit for having some affirmative message, we we did it largely on the positives with this guy. I think of that was probably the last place I expected you to say <laughs> that you had the most fun was at governor's race in Vermont. That's funny. Well, and look, I, I will say this. The times I worked for Rudy in New York and lived in New York City and uh, um both worked for the uh, campaign in 97 and 2000 and, and inside City Hall in uh, 98, 99 and 2000 as a senior advisor to the mayor. That was a very fun phase of my life. I, I will not I will not lie saying. about that at all. I'm glad you brought <laughs> that up because I don't think a lot of people know that you worked with and for uh, America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. And so with knowing what you know now and your experience with him then, what, what happened to Rudy? You know what, Tara? If I could tell you that answer, I would tell you that answer. But I don't know, and nobody else does either. Like all the alumni association of former Rudy people, we constantly talk about it amongst ourselves. It's a, it's a endless puzzle of why this happened and how this happened and what the hell is going on in that man's brain. But it, so we're all not crazy. Those, those of us, like I never worked with Rudy. I, I think I've met him maybe once or twice just in political events. So those of us who looked and have seen a marked change in him, we're not imagining yeah. that. Though there has something switched somewhere. Yeah, there is something different now about Rudy from, from prior iterations of Rudy. And... And honestly, the, the, it, it is it is it is a fairly depressing development for a lot of us who, you know, look, Rudy was never a perfect man. He was never a he was never a guy who, who you know, who was always a good man, but he was always a great man. I mean, he was called to lead uh, to turn New York City around during the worst times of the city's history. Um, he did. And on 9-11, he led. And he did it at a time where the country really needed that. And I don't know if anybody else could have stepped up and done the job that he did with New York City. So that's so it pains me. It's such a shame to see him becoming this fool. I mean, Trump has just turned him into an absolute fool. I'm, yeah. I'm finishing up reading Bob Woodward's book and mm -hmm. just the way that he describes how Trump treated Giuliani and he took it. 
I'm thinking to myself, who the hell is that guy? Yeah, I, I, I that 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 description of calling Rudy a baby and yes. saying he's weak. I mean, I cannot imagine a time of the Rudy I knew putting up with that shit for one millisecond. Right. I mean, the Rudy I knew would have said, um, Donald, go fuck yourself. Exactly. Chris Christie, too. Mr. Chris Christie, who's supposed to be big, badass Chris Christie. All, he, he's sitting there looking like a hostage on stage with, with Donald yeah, Trump. Oh, Chris Christie's a real too. tough guy until Donald Trump says boo. Right. I, I don't know. Well, you know, that's... um. I'm glad we had, you know, could talk a little bit about Giuliani because I had Bernie Carrick on last week. I didn't get a chance to really ask Bernie about Giuliani because I think he would have been a little less willing to be honest. <laughs> so I, I, I elected not to go down that road with him um, just because I didn't. I thought it would have been a little bit uncomfortable because sure. there's a certain loyalty sure. there that you know. But um, but I'm glad that 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 you did. Well, you know, with that with that conversation over with now. I, Poor Rudy. I just don't know. Um, let's talk about your book. In your bio, you talk about how you have a nameless cat. Why do you have yeah, a nameless I, cat first? I, you know, the cat The cat was an adopted cat. And, um, and, and my wife basically dropped it off one day and said, oh, this is a cat. Um, <laughs> and I've never bothered to actually name it. I tried a couple names on over the over the year year or two since we've had her, but it never nothing ever quite worked out. So she's nameless. Well, as I was preparing for this interview, I tweeted out. I don't know if you saw it, but my cat, his name is Tiki. I've had uh-huh. him for twelve years, and he's a rescue. Also, my mom rescued him in the Florida Keys and flew him up here to me in Washington twelve almost twelve years ago. And uh, Tiki's a character, and so whenever I'm working. He's actually in the office with me right now, sleeping in his bed, thank God. Normally, he'd be nice. wandering around trying to sleep on the, on the computer. But he kept sleeping on your book. He would not <laughs> let me. I mean, all this space in this house, he's got to lay on the book. I mean, cats are a trip. So when I saw you had a nameless cat, I thought it was – I had to chuckle to myself because, you know, cat owners, we – you know, cats have a mind of their own. So <laughs> she, she likes to walk in front of the camera during any periscope. Right. <laughs> It's too funny. But um, so in your so in your book, I, I've really had a great time reading your book because it's it's such a reflection of your of your personality and your wit, which is uh, amazing. And anyone who doesn't follow you on Twitter, you need to follow at the Rick Wilson, uh, one of the best Twitter feeds out there. It's always entertaining and and um, informative. But your book, Everything Everything Trump Touches Dies, a Republican strategist gets real about the worst president ever. What made you decide on that title? And for those who haven't seen the cover of the book, it I know you did this on purpose, Rick. It's a <laughs> photo of Donald Trump and his little tiny hands making that gesture with his finger. <laughs> it's, 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 it's great. So where'd you come up with the title and what made you decide to put t- uh, Trump's tiny hand on the front? Well, the, um, the, the title came from the fact that I, the, the reason the book started as an, as an idea was that, that I kept looking at the damage he was doing to everybody. And and the and the the train wreck that anybody in the White House found themselves in the minute they agreed to go to work there, and and it it, it struck me that this guy you know that's the reverse Midas it's the fecal Midas <laughs> everything he touches turns to crap, and so you know the, this this the the title itself caught on you know on Twitter a little bit um, before I even like uh, had locked up the book deal, but. It certainly, you know, once I took it to the publishers with that title, they were blown away. They were like, oh, my God, this is 
this this is a you know a zeitgeist title for a book. Yes. This is something that captures exactly where we're at as a country, and and the feeling that Trump in, engenders in people. Um, you know that that feeling of, of of once you once you're working for the guy, you know you're doomed. You know your reputation's gone. And yet people still go and work for him. Um, <laughs> fewer and fewer all the time, but yes. <laughs> um, throughout the book, there's there's a, there's themes. You know, you go through this arc of kind of explaining the 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 road to the shit show, which I thought was brilliant because that's exactly what this is every day. But you go on <laughs> and you kind of point out different characters and different people who should have known better, but you do a great job of dissecting wh- how these people fell apart and decided to sell out from Paul Ryan to Newt Gingrich to, um, you know, uh, the, the Reince Priebus, like just people who we all used to know, we thought and love and have just, yeah. you know, completely lost their minds. But something else about your book that I, that I really enjoyed was the nicknames. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Wilson has some of the best nicknames for everybody out there uh, and they're unique and they're funny. But you specifically talk about Donald Trump Jr. and Eric, and you call them the Uday and Kuse of the Trump clan. For those who don't, explain, explain where, you came, where you got that from. I know what the reference is, but... Uday and Kuse were the sons of Saddam Hussein. And the, the resemblance of, their, the, the, like the, of the family characters of, of you know, the, the megalomaniacal uh, um, you know, patriarch with his dissipated, um, slightly over hair gelled sons is, I mean, the only big difference is one group speaks Arabic and the other speaks, speaks New York. And, you know, and I, I just, I, and the, the idea that, that these two guys were, are destined for political futures, um, in this world should appall everyone with a brain, but you know, there are plenty of people in the Trump world who really can't wait for Donald Trump Jr. to run for U.S. Senate in New York and Eric to you know, run for Congress and all this other stuff. It's, a, it's quite, a, it's quite, a, it's quite a, a Trump world fantasy. That's for sure. You, you say the Uday and Kuse of the Trump clan combine their father's skeezy pomposity with an air of je ne sais dumbass that won't quit. <laughs> uh, that, that is quintessential Rick Wilson right there. Um, let's not forget about Ivanka, too. You know, she's going to run for president one day. Yeah. Please Good luck me with that one. one. You know what? Her and her husband, that Jared Kushner, who creeps me out. Uh, he just isn't he creepy. There's just something about him. That's just there's a creep factor there that just weirds me out about Jared Kushner. Besides the fact that he's yeah. corrupt like his father and his father-in-law. There is something there is something odd and off-putting about Jared and I. I wrote some about it in the book, you did. but I, but honestly, I can't even, I don't even have like the, the secret sauce of what, what Jared's thing is. I mean, there, there's a part of me that thinks Jared has a closet at home with skin suits in it. I mean, he's, there's something off about that guy. And that is and the I Silence of the Lambs reference if anyone can get it. it. Yeah, I, um, I, I don't disagree. I can't believe that Jared Kushner has a security clearance, but John Brennan doesn't, um, you know. This is right. It's hard to hard right. to explain, given the conflicts of interest at that side of the family, too, that 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 seems to be OK. But but yeah, Jer- Jared, Jared's, uh, you know, he's got his people out and his dad and, and his company out hustling up loans for their building on on Park Ave. 
um, from over from foreign from foreign sovereign wealth funds yeah. in the Gulf and elsewhere. And it's just you know in any if if let's just hypothesize Barack Obama had a son-in-law in the White House and was doing that, the Republicans would be out with pitchforks and torches in front of the White House right now, ready to to, to drive Obama into retirement. They would be we'd be crazed if this was happening on the other side. Well, um, everything, everything Trump touches dies by Rick Wilson. It's a, it's a great read. It's entertaining. It's, um, sometimes it can be for, for those of us who consider ourselves never Trumpers. I, I kind of feel like it's a, it's like a Bible journal of my thoughts of, of where, what I've experienced <laughs> gone through, through this whole experience. And, um, but I, but it's a must, I think it's a must read for, for, for everybody. Um, make sure you go. It's out now. Um, everything, everything Trump touches dies. You even has its own hashtag, hashtag ETTD, uh, by the, the incomparable Rick Wilson. Before I let you go though, Rick, what do you think predicting 2020? I know we're all out of the prediction business, but who do you, who do you see in 2020? If anybody, what do you think about Biden? I hear Bloomberg might be jumping in there. I don't think Bloomberg has a chance despite his money, despite no. his personality. But what what do you think? What do you think? What do you see on the horizon? For uh, here, here's my here's here's my my contingent prediction. Everything has to do with whether or not November is a cataclysm or just an ass kicking. If November turns into a cataclysm and the Democrats get say forty seats instead of thirty seats. Um, and they tie the Senate. Um, I think we've got a uh, we'll have a field in 2020 with seven or eight Democrats, and you'll get three or four Republicans. I don't know who they're going to be yet. I don't know how effective they would be, but you know, as we learned back in 1992, Pat Buchanan primarying George H.W. Bush, even though Buchanan was never ever going to win, and never ever going to to, to succeed. It still wounded the president so much that we couldn't beat Bill Clinton when the time came. That's right. So we may end up in a situation where we have some Republicans who finally sack up and decide they're going to have a take a run at Donald Trump. Um, and I think you will probably see him as a diminished president when he can't um, when he doesn't have constant protection from the House of Representatives. You you um, in, in 2016, you worked for Evan McMullen. Who, who I did and as an independent and who I voted for and I sit on the board of his organization stand up Republic yeah um, do you think that there would be an opportunity in 2020 for a third party I think everybody needs to keep their eyes wide open for a third party bid um, this time and 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 if that third party person can combine money and celebrity in some meaningful way um, we we have a we have a um, we have a chance to see something that's unprecedented in modern American political history, which is an independent candidate who's a, who's makes it into the uh, into the, uh, the the finals. Does Donald Trump get impeached if Democrats take over? Uh, he will never be he will never be convicted. Right. And so the impeachment itself is a moot point. Um, but if the Democrats are smart, they won't focus just on impeaching Donald Trump. They'll go after the corruption in this administration, which is broad and 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 clear cut and obvious. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of anti-corruption, um, but, you know, there's just hard. It's very hard to get to the math of two thirds in the Senate at this point. Yeah. And which is something that I think if Democrats think that that's what's going to 
get them the house running on that in, in the fall, they're, they're sadly mistaken because it's a moot point. You're right. It's symbolic. Bill Clinton yeah, got it, impeached and left office with 60 plus percent of, of you know, favorability. So if the Senate's not willing to remove him, Donald Trump's not going anywhere. And I think that that potentially emboldens Trump to do God knows what kind of crazy after that because it yeah. really becomes the perpetual victim and it's the, all about the deep state and all, all the crazy conspiracy theories and paranoia oh, and all yeah. of that comes to full, comes full center if that happens. So as much as he deserves probably to be impeached for a, a number of things or we still don't know what Mueller is going to conclude, um, I just don't know if that's good for the country. That, that worries me. That's a, that's a, that's a sort of uh, a, a foggy... Um, path down that road. And I don't know what, I don't know what happens at that point. I think there could be some very, very bad outcomes that, that motivate a lot of Trump's supporters to do some very, very bad things. And I, I want to avoid having that, um, as our, as, as, you know, I, I would like Donald Trump to leave office, um, sooner than later, but I don't, I, I don't think impeachment ends up with the outcome that the Democrats think. And I don't think it ends up with the outcome conservatives think either. Um, you know, I, I would prefer future executives understand that they are bounded by the law rather than just, you know, we got enough evidence and we got you. I want people to, you know, the reason impeachment is there as a threat against the executive is because it's the balance of powers between the, the, the co-equal branches. And, and, and if people don't respect the rule of law and don't respect the fundamentals, you know, we, we will we will end up where impeachment becomes a common occurrence, and ignoring it becomes a common occurrence because uh, it's a it's a it's a real sanction that should be there for the worst of worst of it all. It should be there so, only to pull in case of emergency. Yes, and you know we're 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 at a point now I think where where there's not much more runway left. Uh, for civility and and the old norms in this country, but we've got to keep it on a couple of at least on a couple of these areas. Absolutely. Well, Rick, thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time. Uh, always a good time. Keep up the great work. Keep keep it up. Telling telling the truth. Um, people uh, always say to me that you know keep it up. Keep telling them like telling it like it is. But you, Rick, you you give me a, a good run for my money when it comes to telling it like it is, especially on air. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Tara, and thank you for having me. And I wish you all the best with your podcast. And uh, and let me know when the when it, when it posts, so I will promote it. And uh, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Sounds great, everybody. Get Rick's book. Everything Trump touches dies. <laughs> thank you to the great Rick Wilson. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you again to Rick Wilson for a great conversation. Go out there and grab his book. So it's time for my feel-good story of the week. I always like to end my podcast on a happy note. So um, this week, it's about animals. So um, Hurricane Florence um, came through North and South Carolina. There's still a lot of flooding going on, um, a lot of devastation. So for just praying for the folks of South Carolina and North Carolina, all the victims of, of Hurricane Florence, please, please heed your warnings. Stay safe. Rivers are still cresting. Um, flooding is not a joke. So don't be lulled into um, a feeling of, of safety now that the, the, the rain and the wind is gone. It, it, there's still more to come. So just on that note, I just want to say to all of my all of my folks down there in the Carolinas, please, please, please be safe. But the happy note part of this is 
that there is a good Samaritan who has decided to use his own money to go to rescue animals. Animals and pets are often victims that people don't realize during these during these uh, hurricanes and weather events. A lot of people leave them behind, which is just awful. I'm a pet owner. I have a cat named Tiki who is like the love of my life, him and my husband. And the Teekster is always up in it. Anyone who follows me on Twitter probably saw I tweeted out Tiki laying on on Rick Wilson's book when I was trying to prepare. Tiki's always all up in it. I could never imagine leaving my Tiki behind or like my mom's dog, Samantha. I come from a dog-loving, animal-loving family. My grandmother was a professional dog handler. We I grew up going to dog shows. Yes, like the crazy dog walkers and yes, dog in the dog shows. I did that. Um, my mom ran an animal shelter. We've taken in stray animals. So animals and pets, um, cats and dogs, animals in general, I, I just have a soft spot for that. So when I saw this story about this gentleman, his name is Tony Alsup. He's from Greenback, Tennessee. It really, it touched me because I always wonder not only for the people who are you know, victims of these hurricanes. But what about the poor animals? So this guy decided that he was going to buy a bus and convert the bus, take out all the seats and use it to go and rescue animals that were left behind or stray animals during the hurricane. So he drove from Tennessee and he put this, the, the side uh, words, uh, emergency animal rescue shelter on the side of his bus and he has gone and he's rescued something like 65 animals from South Carolina. And he drove them to Southern Alabama in the school bus so that he could bring them to animal shelters down there that could take them in. Kudos to you, Tony Alsup, for taking care of the forgotten animals. Good. Um, that, that really touched my heart. And people that found out about this, they've already adopted a bunch of these animals and some are still waiting to be adopted, but they are at least safe. So Tony Alsup, thank you for creating a Noah's Ark type of rescue operation for some of these animals during Hurricane Florence. And I hope that uh, people, if anyone is listening down there, please adopt a rescue. They are the best. Take care of them because our, our pet cats and dogs, and they were abandoned and they deserve love too. So that's my feel-good story of the week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Honestly Speaking with Tara Setmayer. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Tara Setmayer. Follow the podcast at Honestly underscore Tara. That's at Honestly underscore Tara on Twitter. Hashtag Honestly Speaking Tara. If you want to ask me questions, if you want to um, ask questions of the guests, I will see them if you use the hashtag Honestly Speaking Tara, and I'll see if I can incorporate that into the podcast every week. Stay tuned for episode three next week, next Tuesday. Come and join me. Keep up the good fight.